Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ah, okay. I'm going to tell you a little story because I need to get this off my chest, right? I need to get this off my chest because I've been dealing with it for about a week. That I'm going to leave the company name out because I'm not trying to get a bad rep with anybody and I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. Just picture company A, right? I am trying to buy something for personal reasons with company A. I go to confirm... I go to the checkout, you know, put on my card information, all that good stuff, and I go to pay now. The system crashes. They say that you can't pro- we can't process this order right now. Please try again soon. I'm like, hmm, this happens from time to time. I go to do it again. And then it doesn't go through again. Later down the road, I come to find out that one of my purchases did go through. And the second one was still charged to my account. But in my order history, there's only one item that I quote unquote ordered. But in my bank statement, I am charged twice. And I just got off the phone with my bank to finally, finally just like, hey, listen, I tried to talk to the company. They're incompetent. I can't get through to them. Can you help me out here? And the nice lady with the bank was like, No worries, we'll get this figured out. Do you have this information, that information? I provided her the necessary information. And let me tell you, made me feel good. I feel confident that I'll get my money back. It's going to take some time. It could take up to 90 days. But I have a temporary credit for the money that I was double charged for. And you know what? Now we can move on a little bit because they're going to take control. They're going to reach out to the merchant. And now it's all in their control. Hopefully it can get resolved and company A can get a big fat fist shoved right up their keister, right up the keister. But I just had to get that really quickly off my chest, guys. That's been really friggin' bothering me. But anyways, how are you doing today? Hopefully you were having a fantastic day. Hopefully you had a fantastic week leading up to today being Friday and the weekend. The weather has been very, very folly. Like it was like warm and hot last week and then there was a couple days where it's freezing cold but overall it's been very nice very fall autumny weather hopefully the weather stays like this all throughout the weekend we have so much to talk about in today's episode we will be discussing all four boston sports teams in today's episode i have 38 minutes before the shop opens up so i want this episode to be not condensed but i want it to be concise informative, discussion-based, 
and just make sure we check all the boxes here because we're going to talk about the Celtics. We're going to talk about the Bruins. We're going to talk about Red Sox game six tonight in Houston. We're going to talk about just a little bit Braves and Dodgers series. Obviously, I feel like we should just touch upon that once more. Patriots, Jets, we're going to make our way around the NFL League predicting scores as we always do. So without further ado, let's dive right into it. But just before we do, with the, just before we do, let me let me just remind you to please, please, please reach out to me on social media at Murph's Card Town with any thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, opinions, anything you want to discuss from today's episode. Reach out to me at social media at Murph's Card Town, or if you're watching this video on YouTube, throw those down in the comments section below. So here we go, Celtics. The NBA's 75th anniversary team was announced, and 20. 20 Celtics have made that roster. Now, obviously, there's players like Larry Bird on there, and there's players like Bob Cousy on there who are lifelong Celtics players. Then there's also Ray Allen, who spent a a smidge of his career with the Celtics. So we're just going to go through everyone. As long as you played a season with the Celtics, you are on this, like, you know, you're identified as a Celtics player, obviously. Ray Allen, Nate Archibald, Dave Bing, Larry Bird, Bob Cousy, Dave Cohens, Kevin Garnett, John Havlicek, Sam Jones, Pete Maravich, Bob McAdoo, Kevin McHale, Shaquille O'Neal, Gary Payton. Real quick about Gary Payton, I completely did not know. Gary Payton played a season with the Celtics. Did not know. Completely didn't know. It was uh, 2003, 2004, I believe it was. Had no freaking idea that he played for the Celtics. Anyways, Robert Parrish, uh, Paul Pierce, Bill Russell, Bill Sharman, Bill Walton, Dominique Wilkins. Obviously, there are a ton of Celtics greats on here, and then there's also a handful of players who just played one or two seasons with the Celtics. Wilkins, Walton, Shaq, Gary Payton, and others among them. But 20 players who have worn the green and white are on the 75th anniversary team for the NBA. That is absolutely tremendous, and congratulations to all 20 of those Celtics players. And honestly, congratulations to all 75 players that were on this list. But that's let's just move on from that because we, we have way too much to talk about. Celtics lost to the New York Knicks on Wednesday, 138-134 to in double overtime at Madison Square Garden. Jalen Brown cooked. He was the chef Boyardee. Boyardee's hoes wild. Do you see those New York Knicks fans? Did you see those New York Knicks fans after that game? Celebrating, going wild, acting like they just won game seven, the NBA finals. Now listen, it's nice to win game one. It's fantastic. Double overtime game against the Boston Celtics, your arch rivals. Sure, go crazy. But, oh my God, are they over the top. They went over the top. Tatum had a poor game. Jalen Brown did go off. Celtics only played nine guys. I'm surprised they didn't play more big men because Robert Williams and Grant Williams were really the only two big men, really. Yeah, sure, Tatum's kind of a four now, but whatever. But, oh my God, it's not like the Knicks played, you know, yeah, Julius Randle dropped 35. Evan Fournier dropped 32. Where was that when he was with the Celtics, right? But Kemba Walker dropped 10. Barrett dropped 19. Mitchell Robinson 
11 points, 17 rebounds. That was a monster. Obi Toppin, 14 and 28 minutes. Like, I'm not blown away by the uh, Knicks' performance. Like, Julius Randle has become a household name ever since he got to New York. I'll give them credit there. Evan Fournier, I know you're not going to get this night in and night out. Kemba Walker doing what he did when he was with the Celtics. Not much. So, are the Knicks better than the Celtics on paper? I don't think... I honestly want to say that they're probably really close. Like, I'm going to give the edge to the Knicks just because of, you know, what they were able to do last year and the potential that they have this year. So, I'm going to give the slight edge to the Knicks just because the Celtics were just god-awful last year. And I think they'll be a little bit better this year. However, you guys are so goony. Those Knicks fans are so goony for acting the way they did. Go play the Lakers. Go play the Nets. You guys are going to get smoked by those teams. Go play the Bucks. You guys are going to get absolutely cooked. You play the Magic today. You play the Magic on Sunday. And like you don't play a good team until the Bucks Friday, November 5th. So you could easily roll out to a really good record and everyone's going to think you're fantastic. But you have a home-and-home with the Magic, then the 76ers, then the Bulls, who are actually really good this year, the Pelicans, the Raptors, the Pacers, and then the Bucks. Oh, my God. Knicks fans are going to be so annoying. And Knicks fans are one of the most toxic fan bases I know. Put it in no order. Yankees, Knicks. 76ers, Heat, Astros, Lakers fans. No order, but those are some of the most toxic fan bases out there. Now, yes, you could say Boston fans are also very toxic. But since I do align myself with a Boston fan, I don't see the toxicity. However, I know that there is a fine line between unbiased and accurate opinions, accurate fact, factual statements that I provide here on Murph's Boston Sports Talk every Monday and Friday. Then there are there's some fans out there that do believe the Celtics are a top six team in the NBA or a top eight team in the NBA, that they're going to win it all this year, and that Marcus Smart deserves the bag, which I think he's a very good player, but I don't think he deserves the bag. It's just like, I know the Celtics are going to be a relatively good team. I want them to be a great team. I want them to be a top eight team in the league. I want them to win the finals. Is it going to happen? Probably not. And am I going to sit here and say that they should do it? Yeah, they probably should. Am I going to sit here and say they could do it? Probably not because I don't think they can do it. But, oh, my God, Nick fans. Oh, we're going to win the finals. Oh, my God, we're so much better than you. Go New York. Boston sucks. Bro, chill. It's game freaking one game one come back to me after you play the bucks the lakers the nets the warriors even the warriors be looking good come back to me then obviously i'm not gonna sit here and say the knicks are worse than the celtics because due to my unbiased sports opinion i think the knicks have the slight edge now you're not gonna get 30 plus from fournier every night and you're probably going to get 10 points from Kemba every night. Julius Randle, like I said, he's becoming a whole household name. But is, is that going to be enough? I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. I mean, a lot of good, a lot of teams got better. A lot of teams have uh, improved. And I think the Knicks think they improved by bringing in Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. 
but you guys haven't improved. You, you really haven't. Like, I think the Miami Heat signing Kyle Lowry, as much as I don't like Kyle Lowry, you guys know this, I do not like Kyle Lowry. I think he's so overrated. But he's still a good player. He's good defensively. He can draw charges. He can make a clutch bucket. He can make something happen on offense. I'll give him credit there. But he is, my God, over-freaking-rated. But I think the Heat are better than you this year. I really do. The Hawks are better than you. The Bucks are better than you. The 76ers should be better than you, but I don't know if they are with that whole Ben Simmons situation. And the Celtics could, could, could become better than you. So put the damn back in your damn pants because you guys are going to suck this year. You're going to go 30 and let's see. You're going to go 40 and 42 this year. All right. Let's let's just be honest. That is my little Celtics Knicks rant. Moving on to the Boston Bruins who got absolutely smoked by the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, I don't want to say they got smoked because it was three to three going into the third period. Tight game. Good game. Not going to say they got smoked, but that third period definitely got away from them big time. It absolutely got away from them. Jeremy Swayman did not look good giving up those two goals in the third period. Five overall. Not what you want to see. But listen, it's game two. It's a long season. It's a full 82 regular season, 82 game regular season this year. Unlike last year, was it 54 last year, 56, something like that. You're going to be playing the whole league. Instead of just playing six, seven teams, you're going to be playing the whole league this year, which is nice and refreshing, by the way. I I definitely want to point fingers at the defense. I know that Grizzlick and Riley and Carlo, Clifton, cool, uh, not cool because he's offense. Are, are you guys really getting it done? I mean, entering this offseason – a lot of moves had to have been made for the Bruins. It's like the, really the first time I've really dove into the Bruins, huh? A lot of moves had to be, <laughs> a lot of moves had to have been made this offseason for the Boston Bruins. They made a lot of moves. But one thing that I still don't think they figured out or fixed was the blue line. You still have a glaring need as for a top 4 defensive pairing. You have McAvoy you have Mike Riley, you have Matt Grizzlick, you have Brandon Carlo. That's a great group right there for your top four. But do we really want Riley or Grizzlick as a top four pairing? Maybe Riley, you know, a couple years ago. But do we really want Grizzlick as our top, one of our top four pairings? So I just think the Bruins. I like what they did on offense. They brought a whole good group of guys in. Felino, Forbat, Hala. Uh, I'm missing somebody. Nosek. Am I missing anybody else? I'm, I'm sure I am. I, I'm just looking at the roster right now. Trent Frederick's getting a lot of playing time this year. Like They made a lot of good moves this year offensively. And I think offensively they'll be okay. But oh, I still think they're one blaring defensive in a way from really becoming that team. In the Atlantic Division, in the Eastern Conference, and maybe in the NHL. I know that's a little bit of an exaggeration right there, saying the NHL, because there's a lot of good teams in this league. East to West, doesn't matter where they are. There's a lot of good teams. But you can really make a statement in the Atlantic Division and in the Eastern Conference. 
I think if you're able to bring in one more stud defensiveman. Will they be able to do it, though? I don't know. I really don't know. But looking ahead at the Bruins' schedule, they have a uh, chunk of games that they can rattle off some wins with. The Sabres today in Buffalo. San Jose Sharks come into Boston on Sunday. The Panthers on Wednesday. Hurricanes on Thursday. Panthers again next Saturday on the 30th. November 4th, you're playing the Red Wings. So There's a good chunk of games right there, six games right there. You can easily win them all. You can go on like a 5-0-1 or you know a 4-1-1 stretch. See, the funny thing in hockey is I've mentioned this plenty of times before. It's all about points. It's all about points. You could have uh, 40 wins, and that's going to translate to 80 points. But if there's another team with 35 wins, but ten, uh, you know 15 overtime or shootout losses, they're better than you because of those 15 extra points because you get a point if you go into overtime regardless if you win or lose. If you win, you get the second point. If you lose, then you still walk away with the one point. So it's all about getting points in hockey. It's all about getting points. And if you can scrape points every single night or the majority of nights, you're going to be pretty good. You're going to be in really good shape. I think last year to start the season, the Bruins didn't suffer a regulation loss at home for like the first 30 games or something like that. Oh, actually, no, it was 56 games. Maybe like the first 20 games at home or whatever it may be. It was something ridiculous like that. They were going on an absurd stretch. Just beat the teams you should, go on hot streaks, and I think you'll be okay. I think the Bruins have a really good chance. Obviously, the Atlantic Division is back together. Panthers, Sabres, Red Wings, Maple Leafs, Senators, Lightning, Bruins, and Canadians. I, you know, look at the Canadians. They've played five games already, and they're already 0-5. <laughs> already. Already 0-5. And the Florida Panthers, four games, they're 4-0. So I know I kind of brushed on that Florida Panthers game, how that should be, that could be a must-win. I might be taken back, but, I mean, it's still early in the season. You know, just like basketball, hockey, they both play 82 games. You got to wait for the first 20 to 25 games to really figure out if a team is actually good, a team's actually bad, because we've seen teams come out to hot starts. We've seen teams come out to cold starts, whether it's in baseball, football, basketball, or hockey. You got to let the season mature a little bit, like in football. Give it five, six weeks. Let the teams that are, you know, start off hot fizzle out. Let the teams that start off cold get hot. It's the same thing here in hockey. Are the Florida Panthers really this good of a team? Are we really going to consider them this good of a team when, where were they? They did finish 37 and 14 last year. And in 2019, 2020, they did finish fourth. So, there's a lot of hype and potential around there. But it's uh, it's still early in the season. I still feel like you can squeak one of those games out while they're hot and then worry about them later down the road. But that's going to be my Bruins minute, right? Let's switch over. Before we talk about the Red Sox, let's just talk about the the Braves and Dodgers series here real quick. Really, really quickly. Now, the Braves... I think every game they've scored runs in the first or the second inning in every game. But last night, all they were able to do is score the two runs in the first inning. That's it. And then the Dodgers, they just took over. 
Now the four runs in the eighth inning, call it what you want. It was kind of just, you know, more salt on the wound. But the Dodgers were in complete control of this game. The pitching was unbelievable in this game by uh, the bullpen. Joe Kelly gave up those two runs. But Phillips, Vesia, Gratterall, Trinan, Nebel for the Dodgers, lights out. Absolutely lights out. The Braves were only able to muster five hits all night, and two of them came off of Joe Kelly. This is a good Braves lineup. Yes, they're still missing Acuna. They're missing Ozuna. They're missing Soroka, their pitcher, their ace pitcher. But you still have Eddie Rosario, Ozzy Albies, Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley, Jock Peterson, Dansby Swanson, Travis Deneau. Um, Who's the other one? Jorge Soler, who's coming off the bench. Still a really good lineup. But the Dodgers were able to just shut them down. The Dodgers did what the Dodgers had to do. Obviously, being down 3-1, they were able to win Game 5. Bringing the series back to Atlanta would be nice for the Braves to win it on their home field. However, you have to be careful to not let the Dodgers get hot. Dodgers have one of the best, if not the best team in modern baseball history. Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, Corey Seager, Will Smith, Albert Pujols, Chris Taylor, who hit three home runs last night. Not a household name, but hit three home runs last night. Very versatile. Cody Bellinger. Um, am I missing anybody? That's just the lineup. That's just the lineup. Um, what's his name? Oh, I can't think. Max Muncy. You know, he's he's. Uh, I believe he's injured right now. So this team is loaded. And then for pitchers, you got Scherzer. You have uh, Kenley Jansen, Corey Gnebel. Blake Trine and Bruce, uh, Bruce Dark Gratterall has really come on. They have um, David Price, who's kind of sucks now, but it is what it is. Walker Bueller, Julio Urias. Like, this team is built for October. They are built for October. But the Braves are so close from dethroning the defending World Series champions. They're so close. You have to win game six if you're Atlanta. You absolutely have to win game six because if you lose game six and Dodgers force a game seven, they will have all the momentum and they more likely will win that series because of that momentum, the star power, and it's do or die for both teams. Right now, right now, the Dodgers are playing for their life. And they're doing it very well. Braves, yeah, you could afford to lose this game, bring it back home, give yourself the advantage, and win in your home crowd. But if you're not able to win game six, then I do think the Dodgers are going to complete the back sweep, though, 3-1 comeback, and win this series. I really do. And I hate to say that. Although I'm a Dodgers fan, I am a 15-year veteran Dodgers fan, for those that are listening. I want to see the Atlanta Braves win this because I don't want to see the Dodgers in the World Series again. I don't want to see the Astros in the World Series again. Everyone outside of Houston, New York, and Los Angeles are rooting for the Braves and or Red Sox. Probably Braves and Red Sox. Just to be completely freaking honest. Nobody wants to see the Astros winning because of the whole cheating thing. People want to see the Astros disbanded. No one wants to see the Dodgers because of all this talent they're just buying 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 talent which you can do in baseball you can do in basketball 
and they just won it last year, and they want to see someone different. The Dodgers have been in the World Series a handful of times now. They were in it in 2017 when the Astros beat them. They were in it in 2018 when the uh, Red Sox beat them. They win the NLCS when the um, the Nationals beat them. They won it last year. So it's like, God damn, give us a variety. Like the Astros and the Dodgers have been in the respective league championship series the past five years now. I don't know what the season finish was for the Dodgers in 2016. But come on, give us some new blood, something fresh. And I think that's why a lot of people do not want the Dodgers because they want something fresh. And I think a lot of people don't want the Astros for the same reason, plus they're cheaters. So let's move on to the Red Sox and the Astros series. We're trying to fly through this, guys. We're trying to barrel through this. Obviously, we want to make sure we hit all the topic topic points. But we do have to make sure we take care of business during said talking points. So the Red Sox. Let me just say this before I go any further. The Red Sox have overachieved. This season, regardless if they win or lose tonight, has been a success. From outside looking in, it has been a success. Now, every single Boston sports fan has become accustomed to their team winning to some degree. Bruins are in the playoffs every year. The Celtics with their 17 championships. The Patriots over the last two decades, the Red Sox, you know, these past two decades winning four World Series, being the playoffs supposedly every year. Boston has become accustomed to having great teams in the dance every single year. Last year is kind of a mulligan year. This year, a lot of people had low expectations. The Vegas over-under was 80 and a half. 81 and a half. And they blew over that by 10 wins. No one expected them to make the playoffs after, you know, the whole COVID thing, after they collapsed, after the trade deadline. And here they are. They were in the one game playing. They won. They beat the American League's number one seed in the Rays. They beat them. And they've been out to a 2-1 to one series lead over the Astros. But now have fallen to 3-2. The Red Sox have overachieved. Now, at one point in the regular season, maybe like May, June, they were on a 100-win pace, and they were one of the World Series favorites. That was back in May and June, before summer, before the dog days of August hit, before the All-Star, before the trade deadline, before the COVID outbreak, before the Red Sox collapsed. With all of that happened, and you are, you, you were in a 2-1 series lead position, now you're down 3-2, going to Houston for Game 6. No matter what happens, you could win the rest of the series and then lose in the World Series. You could lose tonight. It doesn't matter. You could lose in Game 7. You could lose tomorrow. It does not matter what the formula is. You have overachieved from an outside perspective looking in. Now, obviously, from a Boston fan perspective, you could say that it's World Series or bust. They have not overachieved until they win it. Super Bowls, Stanley Cups, NBA Finals, World Series, or nothing. And honestly, if you want to have that opinion because you're a Boston fan and you expect that from your teams, I can understand why. And trust me, I want all those championships or nothing myself. 
But being an unbiased sports podcaster, having a platform where I speak my mind about the Boston sports, having to consider all the variables and all the factors to be a legitimate person in the sports Boston sports media world, you have to look at the season as an overachievement. Look at all the hurdles they went through. They were 10 games out of first place. They were out of the wild card picture. They were in the wild card picture. There was a four-way tie for the wild card. They you know, they got a spot. They played in the wild card. They beat the Yankees, who probably a lot of people had winning against the Red Sox, regardless of the game being at Fenway. Then they go up against the American League's best team in the Tampa Bay Rays in a best of five, the defending American League champions, for all that matter, and they beat them in four games. By, by the way, they backswept them because they lost the first game and then they won the next three. And now you play Houston, one of the American League's best teams as well. You lose the first one, you tie the second one, you go up 2-1, and now you're down 3-2. With all things considered, this team has overachieved, and if you can't see that, you are blind. Look at that pitching rotation. The biggest question coming into this year was the pitching staff as a whole. You didn't know what you were going to get from Eduardo Rodriguez coming back from his COVID situation and his, and his heart. You had no idea what you were going to get. Chris Sale wasn't going to be back until the end of summer. And at that point, you still didn't even know what you're going to get. We still don't even know what we're going to get from Chris Sale. Evaldi has turned into an ace for this team, but we did not expect him to be said ace. Garrett Richards, people didn't like. Martin Perez, people didn't like. Tanner Houck, you know, wasn't really onto the scene just yet. So the starting rotation has been, I, I mean, they've been what they've been. They've been very durable. They've been, let's call it consistent. Nick Pavetta even. No one, no one expected Nick Pavetta to have a decent year and then, you know, perform as well as he has in the playoffs. Then you look at the bullpen. Yeah, they made moves to bring in Hansel Robles and Austin Davies. But, like, seriously? Are those the moves that we want to be making? I mean, it helps to have the extra arms, but, I mean, if you look at it, that bullpen was good at one time. I even mentioned on this podcast, I think in, like, May or June, that this, that this bullpen could become a weapon, and they're slowly convincing me that they are. Well... That has vastly vanished. <laughs> I'll tell you that has vastly, vastly vanished. You're losing these games because of the bullpen. You simply are. Now, okay, granted, you have to score runs. The Red Sox scored two runs in game four and one run in game five. You got to score runs to, uh, to win. I get that. But let's look at the game four start here. That was who started that game for the Sox? Um, that was Nick Pavetta. He gave up one earned run. And that was a home run by you. Who hit that home run? Oh, that was Bregman. That was right. That was Bregman's home run. Josh Taylor gives up uh, a hit. Adam Ottavino gets a strikeout. Garrett Whitlock gives up a run. Nathan Eovaldi gives up four runs. Martin Perez gives up two runs. Yes, you need to score runs to win in this in this game. But the bullpen blew that because you got five tremendous innings from Nick Pavetta. Two hits, one earned, two walks, three strikeouts. He did his job. He got you through five innings, which I hate saying that now, but that is the, the norm in the playoffs, or at least 
the goal <laughs> is to get to five innings from your starter. He did that. You were up 2-1 to one for the majority of that game. And then Garrett Whitlock blows it in the eighth. And then here comes Ivaldi, here comes Perez, and then the game's well out of reach. That game was lost by the bullpen. Like I said, your offense still needs to score runs. But remember what I said here on Monday. The Red Sox, when they score four or more runs, they're like, I don't even know, 70 and like 15 when they score four or more runs. And when they don't, they're like 10 and 50. It's something polarizingly bizarre like that. Let's look at game five. Game five, that was Chris Sale's start. Jordan Alvarez hit that home run in the second inning. Chris Sale goes five and uh, one-third, three hits, two earned, two walks, seven strikeouts. Got into a little trouble in the sixth inning, but then the Astros blow it open. So it's a 6 nothing lead. Then it becomes 7 nothing. Then you get a run. Game's over 9-1. to one. Ryan Brazier gives up two runs. Martin Perez gives up another two runs. Maybe you just stop going to Perez. I mean, he's given up multiple runs. I mean, he can't get out of the innings for you. It's the bullpen that's blowing it. I don't want to specifically point to Martin Perez, but I mean, the writing might be on the wall. The only way that the Red Sox are going to win games, I'm not even going to worry about Game 7. I want to come in here on Monday and talk about the Red Sox winning Game 7, or we're going to sit here and talk about you know the season as a whole. But the Red Sox are only going to win Game 6 and see a Game 7. If they can hit the ball, and if they can pitch the ball. Wow, that sounds so freaking simple, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound so freaking simple? Because it is. And yes, it's easier said than done. Trust me, I played baseball my entire life. I know how easier said than done it is. Baseball, from a very... What's the word I'm looking for? From a minimalistic point of view. You hit the ball, catch the ball, you throw the ball. Right? People think baseball is so easy because you just hit the ball, catch the ball, throw the ball. Okay, well, you go up to the plate and hit a 98-mile-an-hour high-and-in fastball. Or try to fight off a nasty slider when the count's 0-2. You try it. Now, I could never hit a breaking ball, but I digress. Baseball, from a minimalistic standpoint, is very easy. Yes, hit, throw, catch. But when you look at it from a more in-depth, very smart or very uh, expansive perspective, it's a tough game. It might be one of the toughest sports out there. Because you look at the Red Sox. They were able to score nine runs in game two, 12 runs in game three, and then two runs in game four and one run in game five. All while they were able to give up five runs in game two, three runs in game three, Nine runs in game four and nine runs in game five. So it's more than just hit, throw, catch. You have to do so much more than that. So yes, it's super simple and very egotistic for me to say. You just got to hit the ball and you got to get them out, you know, pitch the ball. But the Red Sox were doing, they were pitching and they were hitting very well in games two and three. You could even argue game one when they lost five to four. You could even argue game one fine. But in games four and five, their hitting vanished. 
and they're pitching shit the bed. You need to go back to attacking early, getting on base, driving in runners. Because I think game four, I don't know about game five, but game four, they were 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position. 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position. You're leaving men out there begging to come home. When the Astros in game five jumped out, I think at the time it was 6 nothing. I think it was, or maybe it was just, I want to say it was 6 nothing. When Hunter Renfro grounded into the, that double play in the sixth inning, I believe it was. Or maybe it was one nothing. I, I don't remember. And Hunter Renfro grounds into that double play when there was a runner on first and second with no outs. Last thing you needed was a uh, double play. He bounces into one. The entire game in the game before, you were struggling to hit the ball, get runners on base, and drive them in. Why not execute some small ball? Force the Astros to make a play. So I put some of this blame on Alex Cora because he needs to manage this team better. He needs to manage the lineup better. He needs to manage the bullpen better. He does. He's the one that makes all the decisions. Use your gut. Use your eyes. Don't just read a piece of paper from the nerds up in the booth writing the statistics down on an Excel spreadsheet. If you think Chris Sale... Or I guess because he started game five. Let's go game six. If you think Evaldi can strike out Altuve with the bases loaded in the bottom of the second inning, then you have him do it. But just because um, Ryan Brazier has a better ERA and has a better out percentage than Evaldi against Altuve does not mean you bring in Ryan Brazier. You leave Evaldi in there because you know that Evaldi is the better pitcher and you know he has the stuff to do it just because Ryan Brazier has had maybe a little bit more success in a in some chances against Altuve doesn't mean you bail on Evaldi early Evaldi might be the reason why you win this game a lot or I'd probably say the season because it's game six and you're down three two this season is coming down I don't want to put all the pressure on Nathan Evaldi because that's very, very unfair. But a, a big chunk of this season is coming down to Evaldi because if he's pitched well like he has all postseason, the Red Sox will be in a good position to win. Then the other chunk of you know, the fate of the universe coming down to the Red Sox winning is their batters. You got to hit the ball. You got to get guys on base. Play small ball. Yeah, Kike was very hot, but he's cooled down. So if he gets Schwarber on second base with a leadoff double, bunt him over to third. What's wrong with that? I honestly believe that Devers or Bogarts will be able to drive them in with one out or maybe two outs if you know Devers isn't able to do it. Get the guy over to third. Make the Astros make a play. Have Bregman actually come in, barehand the bunt, and throw it at first. He might throw it away. He might miss the ball. Now you have first and third no outs. Or now you got the ball halfway up the right field line. Force the Astros to make a play because these past two games, the Astros have become very, very comfortable. Throughout this entire series, when the series first started, I mentioned the Red Sox need to split the series in Houston, bringing home field back to Boston. They did that. They win game three, and then they lose four and five. 
you lost two of three. And I said that if you lose two of three to this Astros team and go back to Houston down 3-2, you will lose this series. And I still believe in that. I really do. But the fact of the matter is, is they're game six in Houston tonight. And the Red Sox season is on the line. Now, if they went to Houston up 3-2, I'd feel confident that they could win one of them. But now that they have to win two of them, I do not know how I feel. So, with the fact is them losing two of three in Boston, they are now down 3-2. Do I think they can win this series? Yes, I still do. Do I think that they will? I don't. I have to be consistent. I don't. But here, but listen, I'm not even focused about Game 7. It's all about Game 6 right now because if you don't win Game 6, you don't see Game 7, so it doesn't even matter. So my three keys to this game is going to be very simple. You might laugh about it, but it's super simple. Jump on Luis Garcia early, the starting pitcher for the Astros. Jump on him early. Get him knocked out of the game early like you did in Game 2. Okay? Once Evaldi, because I have confidence and faith in Evaldi's going to pitch well. So once Evaldi comes out of the game, whenever he does, your bullpen, the bullpen needs to step up. They need to pitch right. Manage that bullpen to a T better. Don't have Ottavino come in just to get one out to get out of the inning. Because I'd rather see him 7th, 8th, and ninth inning. I do. I mean, I, he's still a good pitcher. Yeah, you got to use all of your weapons and all of your tactics in key spots in the 5th and the 6th innings. I get that. But just manage the bullpen a little bit better because right now what you're doing is not working, Alex Cora. It's not working. So manage the bullpen better slash the bullpen needs to be better. And number three, win. That's it. Just win the damn game. I don't care how you do it. I don't care what it looks like. Just win the damn game and let's force a game seven. That's all I have to say about the Red Sox. I know I, you know, talking on and on about it, but I mean, here we are down 3-2 Houston. So just a quick recap. Red Sox at Houston to play the Astros tonight. First pitch 808 down in Houston, Texas at Minute Maid Park. The Astros do have a commanding 3-2 lead over the Boston Red Sox entering game 6 with both remaining game 6 and 7 down in Houston for the remainder of the series. Oh, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good, good, good one. I hope so. I mean, I gave you my keys. I gave you my thoughts. So let's just hope that the Red Sox can can get it done. But let's switch over to the Patriots. I am trying to adjust myself in my chair. Give me a second. Give me. Here we go. Fix the mic. All right. Patriots, they got to win. All right. Have a good day. Just kidding, guys. But the Patriots do need to win this game. They're playing the Jets. Come on. Do I? Do you want me to give you keys to the game? Do you want me to break this game down? It's the freaking Jets. Were they playing? They they win against the Titans. Did they almost come back and beat the Falcons? Sure. Are they looking better? Maybe. It's still the New York freaking Jets. Beat them. You're two and four. If you lose this game, you can. The season goodbye, and I will lose so much respect for you. Win this game. And let's talk about the Chargers matchup next week. I'm not going to go too much into it, guys. And I don't think I should. I don't think I should. So let's just jump to the NFL. Let's just jump to week seven right here. Okay. Broncos defeat. Uh, I'm sorry. The Browns defeated the Broncos 17 to 14 last night on Thursday night football. Case Keenum 
brings the Browns to victory out of all people. Brings the Browns to victory. Um, it wasn't a good-looking day for the, the Browns. I mean, a lot of players were out. Ernest Johnson was the main running back for the Browns, and he went off 22 carries, 146 yards, and a touchdown. He balled out. Jarvis Landry didn't look good, hobbled off the field late. Odell didn't look good. It was just a tough day for the Browns, but they were still able to get the win, and that's all that matters. Going to Sunday's slate, Chiefs visit the Titans. Titans just got a good win against the Bills. They're feeling good. I I hope the Titans win. I think the Chiefs will win. Washington football team visits the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field. I think the Packers will win that game. Washington football team is kind of falling off a cliff. Bengals visit the Ravens. Could be the game of the week in my opinion. Ravens are super hot right now. Bengals look really good themselves. I want the Bengals to win, and I think they can. But I think the Ravens might squeak this one out. So I'm going to go Ravens there. Panthers visit the Giants. Panthers have been streaky lately. Giants just kind of falling off the face of the earth. I'm going to give this one to the Panthers. Falcons visit the Dolphins in Miami. I'm going to give that one to the Falcons because the Dolphins are a joke. Jets visit the Patriots. I already said Patriots. Eagles visiting the Las Vegas Raiders. Eagles are good. They've lost some good games. They have a lot of good talent. It's going to be their first game without Zach Ertz. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to pick the Raiders here. I, I think the Raiders are a good team. I really do think they're a good team. Lions visit the Rams. I'm picking the Rams. There's no discussion needed. Bears visit the Buccaneers. Bucks. But the Bears, I think, will put up a good battle maybe early on in the game. Or the Bucks will just kind of blow them out, and then the Bears might make it a decent game late in the fourth quarter. But a little too much. Uh, too much too late. Wait, too little too late? Yeah. Texans visit the Cardinals. I'm picking the Cardinals to win that game because I'm picking the Cardinals. Not only they're 6-0, but because they're going against the Titans. Uh, the Texans, excuse me. And because I'm also picking them in Survival League. So they have to win. Colts visit the 49ers for Sunday Night Football. A very odd Sunday Night matchup. I am going to be picking... Hmm. Is... Oh, Trey Lance, I believe, is out. So Jimmy G is getting the start. Um, hmm. If the 49ers want any hope to stay in the NFC West competition, they have to win this game. Colts started off slow and ugly, but if they get this win, that'd be a big win for them. I'm going to lean 49ers, but I don't feel confident about it. But either team could win this game, and I wouldn't be surprised. Saints visit the Seahawks. What looked like a good matchup at the beginning of the year without this, um, without Russell Wilson for the Seahawks. It's going to be tough for them to win, just like last week in Pittsburgh. Here in Seattle for Monday Night Football, I still think the Saints are going to come away. Just not having Russell Wilson is making a huge, huge difference for the Seahawks. But that is my predictions across the league. I kind of ran through them like I just flew through them. I have the Chiefs over the Titans, Packers over the football team, Ravens over the Bengals, Panthers over the Giants, Falcons over the Dolphins, Pats over Jets, Raiders over the Eagles, Rams demolishing the Lions, Buccaneers beating the Browns, Cardinals over the Texans, 49ers beating the Colts, and the Saints defeating the Seattle Seahawks. That is everything 
everything that I needed to talk about in today's episode here on Murph's Boston Sports Talk. If I missed anything, if you have something you want to talk about that we didn't talk about, or maybe you want to kind of piggyback on something I mentioned, maybe you agree with me, disagree with me, whatever it may be, reach out to me on social media at Murph's Cartown. I would love to indulge with you in a conversation, a debate, an argument, whatever you want to have. And also, down on YouTube, if you're watching this on YouTube, leave a nice comment down there with your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, opinions, whatever you agree with me, you disagree with me, whatever it may be. Leave it down in the comment section below. And while you're down there, please leave a like on this video as I would greatly appreciate that if you did enjoy today's episode. And also, if you would, please consider hitting that giant red subscribe button as I would greatly appreciate your love and support and that is the best way to give such love and support to the channel everybody who's listening on audio only platforms you can find murph's boston sports talk on apple stitcher spotify google amazon anywhere you listen to your podcasts you can find murph's boston sports talk that's just a fact not an opinion but that is going to do it for today's episode. I really hope on Monday we can talk about the Red Sox advancing to the World Series, hopefully playing the Braves. But if not, we will reflect on the Astros series, regardless if they lose in six or in seven, and just look at the season as a whole. Big weekend for Boston sports. Pats need a must-win against the Jets. Obviously, the Red Sox have a must-two games they have to win. Bruins need a bounce back. Celtics need a bounce back. So a lot going on in Boston sports right now, and I am... So happy to be able to talk about all four Boston sports team once again here on Murph's Boston Sports Talk. But that is going to do it for today's episode. And until the next one, until episode number 99, before I go, before I go, speaking of episode number 99, episode 100, in case you missed it on Monday, will be a special live stream on YouTube. Between Kim and I, we're going to be sitting here, chatting, just having some fun, celebrating the 100th episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. That will be Friday, October 29th. should probably make a schedule for it, right? Yeah, that will be Friday, October 29th. It will be shortly after the shop closes, so maybe 8.15 start time we're looking at, maybe 8 o'clock if we're lucky enough. But we will see. We will see. But yes, hopefully when I come back here on Monday for episode number 99, we have a lot of good stuff to talk about in Boston sports. But until now and then, we don't know. We'll just have to wait to see how the weekend plays out for our Boston sports teams. But until the next one, between now and then, I hope you have a fantastic day and a fantastic weekend. Go Sox, go Pats, go Celtics, and go Bruins. And I will catch you guys in the next one. But between now and then, you guys know that I love you, and I will always, always, always see you. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. 
Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.